Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Say, we have believed in Allah and in what was revealed to us and what was revealed to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob and the descendants and in what was given to Moses and Jesus and to the prophets from their Lord. We make no distinction between any of them and we are Muslims submitting to him. Sadaqallahu'l-Aliyyul-Azim. Respected brothers and sisters, dearest viewers, wherever you may be, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Last night we looked at the life of Prophet Ibrahim salam, his interaction with the ruler of his time, Nimrud, his uncle Azar, and the astounding moment when he came out of that fire safely. Inshallah, if you haven't watched those episodes, then please. Go back to our YouTube and Facebook at Imam Hussein TV3 and watch those there as with the other episodes from the previous nights. But please, if you want to continue watching us on this Ramadan special, then do so by watching us on your YouTube and Facebook, any IPTV, your iOS and Android devices. Tonight, inshallah, we continue with the life of Prophet Ibrahim salam as we continue looking at his family life his marriage, and the two prophets that came from him, Prophet Ismail and Prophet Ishaq salam. I am your host Minhal Khafaji, and what better way to start this live show than with Dr. Sayyid Amman Naqshawani. Sayyidna, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing today? Alhamdulillah, very well. Now Sayyidna, we learned yesterday that Ibrahim leaves triumphant over Nimrud. At the time he was married to Sarah, and he had people, he had companions, followers like him, uh, like Prophet Lut Yes. And he has this amazing tawakkul which we can learn from. Could you expand on that, on those lessons? Yeah, his tawakkul, his trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something quite unique. If there's one lesson you can take from the life of Prophet Ibrahim salam, is that he has this unbelievable and unerring trust in God that while everybody thinks you're going to be burnt in that fire, he's quite comfortable saying, when I trust my Lord, there's nothing to fear. And even now when he is told to leave town, that look, we've realized we can't kill you, but at least just get out of here as soon as possible. Those around him begin to ask him that, have you decided exactly where you're going? Do you know where you're heading? Mm-hmm. And there's this line mentioned within the Holy Quran which highlights a man who just said, Listen, put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will look after you. I am going towards my Lord. Mm-hmm. He will be the one who guides me. So, from a very difficult moment when he has to leave where he has grown up. While those around him are scampering around one another and thinking, where are we going right now? He tells Sarah that, don't worry, let's go. Prophet Lord, let's go. Those who are loyal to us, let's go. And trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you'll see that the doors will open up for us. But his wife, uh, Sarah, we, one of the most famous stories was that at the beginning of their marriage, they couldn't have any children. Yeah, they couldn't have children for a long time. You know, people imagine that the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they imagine that these prophets are, you know, 
are not tested in any way. Here you've got Prophet Ibrahim السلام, First test has to live in a cave for the first 15 years of his life so that he is not killed by the rule of his time. Second test cannot see his mother as freely as he wants to. Third test he's about to be burnt in front of everybody. Fourth test having to leave the place where you've grown up is never easy for anybody. But the fifth test was a difficult one. And if anyone out there thinks that prophets and imams, because they're ma'soom, they do not go through tests. Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, has a lovely hadith. He says, do not say, Ya Allah, don't test me. For all of us will be tested. Rather say, Ya Allah, do not test me with that which shakes my faith in you. <laughs> Every other test, alhamdulillah, as long as it doesn't test my faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Nabi Ibrahim السلام, reaches... You know, the age, you know, quite, and there's different narrations that tell us just how old he got. Mm. Uh, but he, he reaches quite an old age and, you know, biologically speaking, if a person works with the world of science, then when his wife Sarah is passing her 60s, let's say, there is little hope of them having a child, you know, and um, it's very difficult on any relationship out there where there are many people who, in the first years of their marriage, they want to have a child, but they're thinking, you know what, We've tr we're trying everything possible, but we can't have this child. And they see around them that there are family members who have three kids, four kids, while you're the only brother, you're the only sister who has been married for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years, and you cannot have a child. Mm -hmm. So if they could relate to anyone, relate to a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Nabi Ibrahim, or later on when we come to Prophet Zakaria and Prophet Yahya, you know, that story involves a prophet who yeah. cannot have a child for so many years. But again, they have that tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, in the 21st century, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says alongside tawakkul, there has to be a sense of seeking what is around you. If there are new techniques, new methods, in which you're able to have a child. Sure. As long as a person doesn't enter the world of sin, then why not? Yeah. It's good that you mentioned that, uh, because obviously in this day and age, mm. technological advancements have been skyrocketing. Now, viewers ask us about new methods such as artificial insemination by donor or by husband and surrogacy. Um, as we have this question that came in through WhatsApp, it says, Assalamu alaikum, I have a question. Is surrogacy allowed in Islam as if I can't get pregnant and doctor makes an embryo f uh, for me and my husband? Um, has Islamic law addressed this? Alhamdulillah, Islamic law has made great strides in the world of biomedical ethics. I know that there are a number of people out there who ask questions concerning biomedical ethics. Artificial insemination by donor, artificial insemination by the husband, you mentioned surrogacy, others mentioned IVF treatments. These are all questions that alhamdulillah, we have verses of the Quran, which we are able to use to build the framework. We have hadiths from the Ahlul Bayt regarding what is legal and what's not legal when it comes to relationships. But we also are open to using scientific methods and scientific techniques. In the case of the sister, who's speaking, if you could just yeah. repeat the question one more time. The question says, Assalamu alaikum, I have a question. Is surrogacy allowed in Islam? As if I can't get pregnant, is a doctor allowed to make an embryo for me, for me and my husband? 
and putting my sister through IVF. Is it allowed? My sister is married and has no problem doing that, so please answer me. I badly need your help. You see, uh, a sister being married already, that would be problematic in this case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at surrogacy, you know, the surrogacy that's not allowed is allowing the fertilized ovum mm -hmm. of another couple to be injected into the womb. That one is not allowed. However, if the husband, for example, um, is married to you and then marries a second wife, but it has to be a legitimate relationship, then that form of surrogacy would be allowed. Sure. In terms of artificial insemination, artificial insemination by one's husband, there is no problem at all in it. Okay. The method of gaining the sperm from the husband has to be in a legal method. There are some places where they tell the husband, you know, you yourself try and give us your sperm um, with your own me methods of pleasure meaning your own methods of self-pleasure, masturbation, that wouldn't be allowed. However, if the wife is involved with the husband in gaining the sperm, then artificial insemination by the husband in that way is allowed. Artificial insemination by a donor is not allowed at all. Yeah. Now, Sayyidina, Prophet Ibrahim salam, with his wife, Sarah, he couldn't have a child. So how does he meet his second wife, Hajar? Hajar, how does he meet Hajar? Interesting question. When they leave... Um, you know, the land where they were living in the time of Nimrod, when they've set off, on the way, when they're passing Egypt, the king of Egypt had a particular policy. And that was that if you were within his land, his ministers or those working below the ministers would collect 10% of you, like a form of a congestion charge for example yeah, yeah. or a toll sure when nabi ibrahim was traveling with sarah sarah was on the sitting on a carriage on the top of a camel and when they got to the immigration area you know like how we have customs for example exactly when they got to that you find that one of the king of egypt's staff by the king of egypt was called arara and one of his staff came towards Nabi Ibrahim. He said, you've got gold, you've got silver, you've clearly got other um, artifacts. We charge 10% of the value for you to enter our land. Nabi Ibrahim said, there's no problem. 10%, I'm willing to pay. There's no issue. Then he said, but what's in that carriage on top of, for example, that camel? What's there? Mm-hmm. He said, I want to go and look inside it. Now, Sarah was inside. Okay. Nabi Ibrahim said, do not go inside there. I've already told you that whatever I have of assets, the 10% valuation I'm willing to give you. But do not go inside and touch what's in there. That's my wife. He said, well, you're telling me she's your wife. I don't know what else is in there. I'm going to have to take your wife to the king of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Nabi Ibrahim said, there's no way my wife's going without me. Normally, the lesga is the wife to the husband. But here, Nabi Ibrahim is saying that, listen, you're not getting rid of Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Sarah was known for her beauty. Many traditions talk about just how stunning she was um, uh, in terms of her beauty. And so, Nabi Ibrahim, there is a social hijab here, not just physical. You know, sometimes the husband has to show masculinity and mm -hmm. care for the wife as well. Of course. 
you know, it's sad sometimes you hear in the Muslim world that there are hus Muslim husbands, Muslim wives, they'll sit together on a, in a beach wearing bikinis. They'll probably be fasting in the holy month of Ramadan because you have to tick that box culturally. But you'll hear that it's normal for them to be, you know, sitting alongside one another and they'll have Islamic names as well, which makes it even more disturbing. And they'll actually believe in the religion. But it'll be normal for them. Now that husband, have a bit of respect. You know, you're watching your girl just lie there virtually naked with other guys checking her out. There has to be, you know, a bit of chivalry there. And sure. sometimes that chivalry is missing in certain quarters and segments of our community. There are, you know, Muslim husbands and wives who go clubbing with each other's friends. Now, if you're going to go clubbing... You know, the guys might be wearing whatever, t-shirt and jeans, but the girl would want to dress something quite nice that night. And to have your friend just be able to check out your girl in that way, there needs to be a bit of self-respect. One of the signs of the reappearance of the 12th Imam, Ajrallah Faraj al-Sharif, is this lack of um, self-respect and lack of dignity which is displayed. Nabi Ibrahim is not having none of it. And so what Nabi Ibrahim does is he says, listen, I'm coming with my missus. There's none of you guys going to touch her. Um, they get to the king. The king's like, what's the issue? And so his advisor says to him that 10% is what he was ready to pay, but I don't know what's in that carriage. And he claims it's his wife. Sure. So then at that moment, what happens is that the, the king says very well, then I'm going to, um, I want to see this lady, who she is, what's in that carriage. And Nabi Ibrahim says to him, there's no way you're seeing her. Mm -hmm. King's thinking, hold on a minute. I have to. This is for the safety of my people. I don't know what's in that carriage. Mm -hmm. King sticks out his hand to touch Sarah. His hand gets stuck. No way. You know, you're messing with Nabi Ibrahim. And yeah, yeah. God loves Nabi Ibrahim. And, and if you're going to start insulting the wife of Nabi Ibrahim who herself is a sister of a prophet of Allah known as Lord, uh, you know, you're messing about with God here and his hand stuck. His hand stuck. And when his hand stuck, he turns around, he's like, I beg you, help me out here. Nabi Ibrahim prays to Allah, Ya Allah, if this king's sincere and he wasn't seeking to do anything wrong, he truly wanted to look after his nation, let his hand be free. His hand was free. At that moment, the king said, you're a man of honor and dignity. He goes, forgive me. I only was looking out for my wife. The king replied to him, don't worry about it. I respect that. But I'm looking out for my country. And Nabi Ibrahim said to him that you are a king who is a good man. I don't have any doubts about you. When Nabi Ibrahim was leaving, the king said to him, wait. Because of the honor that we had having you, Ibrahim, I want to give you one of my maids as a gift. Her name is Hajar. She is a lady of respect and a lady of wisdom. And Nabi Ibrahim took Hajar and Hajar therefore came with Sarah. And from then they all traveled together. Sarah and Hajar. Two women, one house. Yeah, sometimes, you know, having one wife can be a trial. Um, let alone two. Mind you, those with two normally have this unbelievable skill of balancing it where you're looking at them. And they don't necessarily always tend to be, you know, the best looking people in the world, but they just mm -hmm. got this, maybe money helps, maybe, maybe. they've got this uh, maybe. Casanova charming aspect to them. 
But um, yeah, Sarah and Hajar Ibrahim marries Hajar Ibrahim marries Sarah. And, and Sarah can see the anguish on the face um, of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salam that he, he's not having a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, she, and he tells her that, look, I'm married to Hajar. I think, you know, the best way forward is to have build a family with Hajar. And Sarah at the beginning is okay with that because she loves her husband. Um, but I think, you know, naturally it can't be easy mm. when you haven't had a child and then this lady comes into the life of your husband. Yeah. And when she comes into life of her husband, all of a sudden you hear the news that she's become pregnant. Um, it's the, the other religions view Sarah and Hajar negatively. We have to make something very clear here. Okay. Sarah is one of the ladies who was alongside Maryam and Asiya and Hawa when, when Sayyidah Khadija gave birth to Fatima al-Zahra So we have to make that clear. That's something very important. Um, and she, unless she's a lady of great respect, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not give her that honor of being at the birth of Fatima al-Zahra There is a hadith that says, children in paradise who have not yet met their parents, considering their parents are still alive, Sarah is the one who looks after those children until the parents come back to their kids. I do believe that Sarah found it difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't believe Hajar in any way whatsoever showed disrespect. But I just think it's part of the emotion that Allah SWT gave so much beautiful emotions to our mothers yeah. giving birth to us and so on but sometimes that's part of also a difficult moment that anybody would face mm-hmm. whether you're a wife or a prophet or anybody else that's difficult when you're not having a child and all of a sudden someone around you is now Hajar was uh, the wife that gave birth to Prophet Ismail mm. which was the first prophet of Allah to be born uh, after Prophet Ibrahim as in from the line of Ibrahim did Prophet Ismail show uh, signs of prophethood from birth? I mentioned yesterday that there is a belief that the prophets are, uh, are born circumcised. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't need, you know, Dr. So-and-so to come and snip. And uh, that would be the clearest sign from when he was born. Yeah. Now, Sayyidina, how did they reach Mecca, the story of... Hajar and Ismail. Yeah, Sarah's, you know, she's, she's not happy that Hajar and the baby Ismail are, are around her. Um, that's one opinion. You know, sometimes reconstructing these when you're looking at the traditions of these ladies, you never really know exactly what's happening. But if you're looking at most of the traditions and they're telling us that she wasn't so happy with, 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 um, with them being around. And she says, listen, you've got to put them in a barren land somewhere. Um, there is a narration that Buraq, the same Buraq that took Rasulullah on the night of Mi'raj was also there for Nabi Ibrahim. And that Buraq took Hajar and that Buraq, you know, because say Sarah was in Jerusalem, let's say, mm-hmm. and Hajar goes towards the barren land of Mecca. You know, there's no flights where you can just book a ticket and fly. So one opinion was Buraq used to take Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salam so that he could often visit Hajar and Ismail. The same Buraq who took the Holy Prophet on the night of Mi'raj. Uh, there's another opinion that Allah folds the earth for certain chosen servants 
where a place becomes a few steps away. <laughs> and if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says be and it will be, then you're able to go. Yeah. Now, uh, we have in chapter 14 of the Holy Quran, verse 37, uh, it says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Our Lord, I have settled some of my descendants in an uncultivated valley near your sacred house. Our Lord, that they may establish prayer. Mm. So make hearts among the people inclined toward them and provide for them from the fruit that they might be graceful. How does that highlight the importance of dua? Well, it highlights firstly when you're in a situation where you're about to leave your wife and your child alone. Listen, Mecca was one barren land. There weren't no shops, there weren't no hotels, there weren't no malls. You know, there wasn't no barbers, there wasn't no football stadiums, there wasn't no cinemas. Mecca was a barren. Today, looks a bit more like Manhattan. But at that time, it was barren. Mm -hmm. um, and being barren, you're leaving this lady alone. Lady's sitting by a tree and she's just wondering, hold on, what do I do? But Hajar had that tawakkul. Okay. Ibrahim's tawakkul was dua. Ad'uni astajib lakum. Call upon me, I will answer you. Wa idha sa'alaka ibadi anni fa'anni qareeb. Ujibu da'wata da'i idha da'an. When my servant asks you about me, say to them that I am near. I answer the supplication of the supplicant when he supplicates towards me. Nabi Ibrahim knew the Lord who saved me from the fire of Nimrud. I trust that Lord when I leave Hajar and Ismail alone in Mecca. There wasn't a water fountain in Mecca where Hajar could go. There wasn't a supermarket she could just go and buy fruits and veg. This was a huge test of her iman. Yeah. Exactly. And Nabi Ibrahim talks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He tells Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, look, I have put a part of my family in this area. There's no fruits, there's no trees, there's no cultivation. And where this is going to be a difficult moment. Listen, I don't think there's many mothers out there for husband. Can you imagine? Uh, like, imagine like an Iraqi mom heard an Iraqi dad say to her, I'm just going to leave you in the middle of a piece of land with the kid. Um, I'll try and catch up with you guys in a few months. Yeah, that Iraqi mom, she ain't having none of that. Really she ain't good. having none of that. That husband's getting it that day. Now you imagine Hajar alayhi salam with Hajar. She's, she's in the situation where she's thinking, okay, I've just been left here with this boy. Where am I going to have anything to eat, drink? You know what? Tawakkul. Ibrahim exactly. knew that the power of the believer was dua. Exactly. And that combination, tawakkul with dua. Mm -hmm. You know, there are many people when they face problems will not open a book of dua. And then school of Ahlul Bayt, we've got dua Kumail, we've got dua Yastashir, mm -hmm. dua Abu Hamza, dua Mashlul, dua Al-Iftitah. You know, you've got these wonderful dua, Joshan Al-Kabir. You know, all of these ad'i and sahiba sajjadiyya. Why? They're reminding you that, listen, don't give up when you have a problem. There are many who give up easily. Talk to me, open up. Exactly. Nothing is more beloved to Allah than when someone opens up to them in dua. Exactly. And therefore, you find that while being in that state, in this barren land, she's looking around and all she sees is two hillcocks, Safa and Marwa. Now, Safa and Marwa are all due to the incident of Prophet Ismail and Hajar. Could you explain the situation that happened? Well, Safa and Marwa and its origin relates to Adam and Eve. If you remember, we said yes. Mount Safa 
Assalamu alayka ya waratha Adam. Safwat Allah. Okay, so Mount Safa and Eve Mar'a Marwa. Mm-hmm. But you're right, the most famous is Hajar. And Hajar's thinking, where do I get water from? But I, I can trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but tawakkul is not enough without working hard. Mm-hmm. I have to work hard and then have that tawakkul. She comes to Safa, she's looking, she thinks she sees something Marwa, she goes back and forth seven times until the spring of Zamzam emerges for Allah. That spring of Zamzam, which is a barakah to all of us. That spring of Zamzam, which all of us on a night like this, and especially in about one hour's time, yearn to drink Zamzam yes. because yes, we yes. are thirsty as anything. But we will get through this month, inshallah, course, with inshallah. tawakkul and with dua and with the, the, the blessings of the prayers of the, uh, the viewers. So she's gone sometimes. And that is where the basis of why Muslims, when they go to Hajj, You'll find them Safa Marwa, Safa Marwa, Safa Marwa, and then ending up with, hold on, Safa Marwa, Safa Marwa, Safa Marwa. Yeah, so ending there, and then you've got all of these uh, rituals that you then see with the snippet of the hair and so on. Now, Sayyidina, over the past few nights, you mentioned, um, you know, how dreams become guidance to the prophets. Now, how did Prophet Ibrahim, because he'd already gone through a... Um, a trial with his son, as you mentioned, Safa and Marwa situation. How did Prophet Ibrahim explain to Prophet Ismail when Allah told Prophet Ibrahim to sacrifice Ismail? And how old was Ismail at that time? No one could really say how old Ismail was, but he was coming of age. You know, the Quran says, uh, mm-hmm. You're looking at somebody who's coming of age. You know, Halim, Hulum. When a person becomes baligh, they see a Let's say coming of age between 13 yeah. and 15. Yeah. But sure. which father comes and tells his son that, listen, uh, by the way, we've got to go somewhere and I've got to kill you. Um, Stunt. Me and you would be. Exactly. But I think Ismail, being a prophet of Allah, yeah. his reply is unbelievable. Because the father says, إِنِّي أَرَى فِي my son, Yabune, is not even my son, it's my dear, dear son. English cannot do justice to that line. My son, I see in my dream, What's your opinion? In my dream, I've seen that I've got to sacrifice you. The reply is a stunning reply. قَالَ يَا أَبَتِ فَعَلْ مَا تُؤْمَارِ My father, do as you've been commanded to do. You will find me of those who have sabr. Which sabr? Sabr and the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest patience in life. Sabr and disobedience when there's something blatantly haram and you have sabr not to do it. Mm-hmm. And then there's sabr and obedience. Yeah. Where you do an act which is going to be difficult, but for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I've always said, what's your Ismail? I ask every viewer out there, what's your Ismail? What's your sacrifice that you make to Allah? You don't really want to make it. You don't feel like it. You're not ready for it, but you do it because you know it's for Allah's pleasure. Even though it's a major sacrifice. I think all of us have an Ismail in life. And by the time we die, if we've figured out our Ismail, our sacrifice, 
then we should look forward to the day of judgment. His son replies to him, and, and you know, this is a difficult moment because Hajar's had to be away from her husband for a long time because Ibrahim was living mainly with Sarah and, and now for her to see this and Shaitan wants to get involved as well. I can only imagine how hard that must have been. Yes. But Sayyidina Ahsantum, thank you for this first half of Live in London with Dr. Sayyid Amman Akshawani as we are discussing the family life of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. I'm sure myself, if my father came and told me that, I would have dashed off, ran away. Um, but do stay tuned for the second part as we answer your questions and as we continue on this journey. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum dearest respected brothers and sisters, dear viewers and a warm welcome back to you all. Do keep sending in your questions, they are coming in the hundreds uh, and inshallah the Sayyid will try to answer them whether on the live or um, after the live show. Now Sayyidna, before the break we were discussing the dream of Prophet Ibrahim and the reply of Prophet Ismail alayhi salam. Now most of the time we sometimes have dreams that you know don't make sense to us is there any truth in dreams there's a difference between the dreams of prophets of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the dreams of uh, mere mortals and the difference between the two a dream of a prophet peace be one's family is um, is a revelation from the lord uh, for us our dreams are divided into different sections you can have like the line in the story of Yusuf Adghatha like the sticks of hay in the haystack where it's just a mess isn't it? Mm -hmm. hay, yeah. It just sticks everywhere, there's no real order. You've got some which um, you know may have some truth to it but not exactly as you perceive it. And that's why there are tafasir which have been written which attribute tafasir of dreams to the likes of Imam al-Sadiq um, or to the likes of Ibn Sirin and others. So some dreams may have some meaning, others may just be jumbled up and really have no significance at all. Now, we Muslims, we believe that Prophet Ismail was the one to be sacrificed. Other religions say that Prophet Ishaq was the one that was going to be sacrificed. How do we reply as Muslims? Because the verses in the Quran don't mention um, Ismail's name. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, if you look at other religions, they say that Abraham's sacrifice was Isaac, Ishaq, and not Ismail. Whereas you'll find that the majority opinion in the Shia school is that the great sacrifice of Ibrahim was Ismail alayhi salam. This is given from a number of reasons. First and foremost, if you're looking at the ayahs in Surah 37 of the Qur'an from verse 99 onwards that discuss the sacrifice, 
You're right, Ismail's name is not mentioned. When Quran says, Ya Bunaya inni ara fil manami anni athbahuka fandur madha tara, qala ya abatif alma tu'mar. It doesn't say, qala Ismail ya abatif alma tu'mar, satajidani insha'Allah min al-sabirin. And even later on, when it talks of the rest of the uh, ayat which have been mentioned, um, there is no mention of Ismail. So where do we get Ismail from? We get Ismail, A, from the fact that the Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt have told us it was Ismail. But secondly, even if you look at those verses, those verses talk of the sacrifice. Then they say that when he came to sacrifice him, we called him, O Abraham, you have passed our test. Mm-hmm. And that we ransomed his sacrifice for a later generation. Then in Surah 30, in that same Surah, verse 110, the Quran says, وَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِإِسْحَاقَ نَبِيًّا مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Aha, okay. We give glad tidings of Ishaq, a prophet from amongst the righteous. So the whole story, therefore, before it was not speaking about Ishaq. Because verse 112 says, Interesting. Even they know about, you know, Sarah later on in the, in the story. If you look at Surah 11 verse 71, Sarah is told about the birth of Ishaq and also that Ishaq will have a son called Yaqub. So clearly there was no situation where they doubted whether her son would live in any sacrifice or anything. But um, as you mentioned, um, Prophet Ishaq, his line continued the prophethood, mm. not Prophet Ismail's. So because Prophet been... Ismail died before Prophet Ibrahim. Really? Yeah, Prophet Ibrahim buried Prophet Ismail. Interesting. Yeah, Prophet Ismail, according to the Imams of Ahlul Bayt, the opinion is that Prophet Ismail died before Prophet Ibrahim. Mm-hmm. Some said that the proof that Ishaq is the Dhabih, is the one who was sacrificed, was because Ishaq's son was who? Ya'qub. Ya'qub's other name is Israel. So his sons are then Bani, Israel. Um, and they say therefore that the great sacrifice, Allah put the generations through Ishaq. No, Ismail died before Nabi Ibrahim. So he's not going to be the successor of Nabi Ibrahim. And he went to Nabi Ishaq Now, Arafah, Muzdalifah, Mina, Hajj, these are all due to Prophet Ibrahim mm. and Prophet Ismail. What happened and how did Iblis emerge? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I pray for everybody to be able to go to Hajj. And when you go to Hajj, you've got to be at Arafah. Arafah is that day that Ibrahim knew this dream has a message. And that message is, I'm going to have to sacrifice my son. At Muzdalifah, many of us collect the pebbles, don't we? Mm-hmm. When we go to Muzdalifah, we collect the pebbles because we're going to stone the shaitan. shaitan. Because shaitan would not stop with Ibrahim and with Hajar. He used to come to Ibrahim when Ibrahim was going to sacrifice Ismail. Listen, you know, if you're going to sacrifice Ismail, you know that all humans now will kill their sons because of you. You know what? Get out of my way. Then he'd go to Hajar. Hajar, did you hear that your son's about to be killed? You're going to accept this? Are you sure this is the way you want to be? Your beloved son? And she'd say, I rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I follow the path of Ibrahim. 
So therefore, when Ibrahim then carries out the sacrifice, we have everybody carrying out the sacrifices mm -hmm. of the sheep, for example, in the land of Mina. Mina. May Allah bless everybody to be able to go on that Hajj to honor Ibrahim, Ismail, Hajar, and to hopefully kick Shaitan out of our life. Inshallah. Sayyidina, I remember once in one of your lectures, you mentioned how the mentality of people is that I'll enjoy my life when I'm young, and then when I, as I get older, I will go to Hajj and I'll repent for my sins. Do you think the youth have neglected Hajj? I think, alhamdulillah, in the last 15, 20 years, there's been a great change in the, in the average age of those people going to Hajj. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. I would say that in, in our parents and their parents' generation, the idea in some cases was, listen, let's party, let's chill, let's enjoy. Um, and then, you know, when we're a bit older, we go to Hajj and ask Allah to forgive us as if it's a joke with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And that really sadly comes from people who haven't understood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you get invited to a, a wedding, you want to make sure you go and you're going to tell your family members, get ready, we have to be there, we have to dress appropriately and so on. You're invited for an iftar, you want to make sure you're there and you chill there. You're invited for a suhoor, you want to make sure you chill and enjoy. You're invited for a majlis, you want to make sure you attend the majlis. Is there a greater invite than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling you to come home? No. But those who haven't understood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one out of fear or their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a tit for tat. If I do this, you give me this. But if I don't do this, you don't do this. <laughs> That's no, on the contrary. To be in the banquet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to honor the sacrifices of Nabi Ibrahim and his family, you know, Nabi Ibrahim proclaimed to the people, there was an adhan that was made where the wombs, people answered from the wombs of their mothers. So you find that from that call of Nabi Ibrahim by the Kaaba that he built with Ismail, that call resonates with the purest hearts. Hajj is wajib like salah is wajib. Yes. You Definitely. cannot pick and choose of the wajibat unless truly you cannot afford to go to Hajj. That's a different story. Mm -hmm. However, if you can afford to go to Hajj and you're postponing because your excuse is if I come back, I may have to wear hijab. <clears throat> If I come back, I may have to, for example, become more religious. If I come back, why do you think like that? Instead of thinking along the lines that, you know what? This is my greatest chance to talk to Allah, to open up to Allah, to thank Allah mm -hmm. for everything that he's blessed me with. He blessed me with the most beautiful parents or education or yeah. he blessed me with children. You're one ungrateful human being. If the doors of Mecca open for you to visit, <laughs> and you make excuses. You know, there is a new excuse going around that I don't go to Hajj because the Wahhabis are there and I hate Wahhabis. That's why I'm not going to Hajj. Oh, come on. Some people, let's give benefit of the doubt. Some people are like, well, you know, these people who are killing people in Yemen, we don't want to go and visit places which help them. Others, I think, have to be careful that you don't, you know, the ayah about... Those, you know, they, they make so many excuses. Just be careful that you don't fall in the trap of excuses. Mm -hmm. That I'm just saying this not because I really care, but I just don't want to go hajj. Hajj is a wajib. And for yeah. every year that you postpone it, it's a qada on you. 
So a person should not be postponing this, but rather should be looking to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be careful also that you don't just get the title, oh, I just want to go to Hajj, so everyone calls me Hajj. <laughs> or I, don't I want to go to Hajj so that all my friends who've been to Hajj, I can have a story to say as well. Your niyyah should be purely, <laughs> you know, I'm going back to my pure state alongside fellow believers, alongside the angels to get closer to Allah SWT. Now, as you mentioned, um, Prophet Ibrahim built the Kaaba with Prophet Ismail yeah, yeah. Now, it's a father-son job. Tell us about the maqam of Ibrahim that is in Mecca. Is it still in its original place? No. Okay. The maqam of Ibrahim, where there is the footstep of Ibrahim, where it is today was placed there by Umar ibn al-Khattab. Uh -huh. He took it back to where it was in the days of Jahiliyyah. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family, had the maqam adjacent to the Kaaba. It was the second caliph who was the one who moved the maqam to where it is today. Um, otherwise, Ibrahim Ismail, using the water of Zamzam, getting the clay together, they built the Kaaba, they got the Hajar al-Aswad, placed it there. You know, they are the ones who established that Kaaba to be a source of uniformity for all Muslims in the world today. Sure. But the maqam, where it is today, is Umar ibn al-Khattab is doing. It is not where it was in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family. He had put it just next to the Kaaba. Yeah. Now, this beautiful relationship between Prophet Ibrahim and Prophet Ismail was there a strain put on it because of Sarah? I think there was a strain in a relationship where it's difficult for the mother of Ismail in terms of Sarah's vision that she just is not she doesn't, doesn't seem too comfortable with Ibrahim being there with his son all the time. It seems to pain her. And she's a lady of old age, mind you. She's reached yeah. the age of 90, wow. and this has happened. Um, I think Nabi Ibrahim tries to visit Ismail, Nabi Ismail a number of times. Sometimes he, he meets his wife there, and he just says, tell your husband that an old man came to visit him today. It wasn't the easiest time. You know, you got a wife in Jerusalem, you got another one in Mecca. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was the easiest times. Um, but they're prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they remain exemplary in their characters and their duties as well. Now Sarah would have never imagined she would have a son mm. because of the many years they tried to have a son. And then she got to a very old age. But then four men come to visit. What happens and who were these four men? Well, these, <laughs> these four angels who really come to visit. Okay, angels. And you know, Nabi Ibrahim, he did not mess about when he made a roast. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always great to go to someone's house who's not stingy with their food and is a great cook. My great friend Hamza, nobody cooks a roast like him. And I'm looking forward to a good roast from him in a couple of weeks. But, you know, when somebody is able to cook you a good roast, you're looking forward to it. When you see these people are not interested in eating the roast, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what's happening here? Now the angels visit Nabi Ibrahim a number of times. Sometimes they tell him we're on our way to Prophet Lut and Sodom and Gomorrah, which is tomorrow, yeah. about Prophet Lut and uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, mm -hmm. uh, where we analyze the issue of same gender relations within the Holy Quran and the story of Lut. However, what you have here is that you know, it's the angels, Jibra'il, Mikail, 
Raphael and Cor Corbadil, they were the ones who came and uh, glad tidings. Why? Um, you know, the Quran mentions it, you know, yeah. Glad tidings. You're about to have a son. If Ibrahim's in, you know, 100 and Sarah's 90, no one's imagining they're going to have a son. And Sarah herself was shocked. Yeah. yeah. And as the Quran mentions, you mentioned that she was shocked. The Quran mentions in chapter 51, verse 29, and his wife approached with a cry of alarm and struck her face and said, I am a barren old woman. Fasakat wajhaha. Yep. وَقَالَتْ عَجُوزٌ عَقِيمٌ فَصَكَّتْ وَجْهَهَا You know, sometimes you find somebody when they're astonished, they're like, what did you say? Yeah. فَصَكَّتْ وَجْهَهَا وَقَالَتْ عَجُوزٌ عَقِيمٌ I'm عجوز عجيز عجوزة I'm an old lady Yeah I'm gonna give birth Maybe the sabr that she displayed in all these years. Mm -hmm. And Allah has the greatest of givers. Yeah. As you could say is a trial that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put her through. But how, um, so Ishaq was born. What's the age difference between Prophet Ishaq alayhi salam and Prophet Ismail? Maybe about 13, maybe, maybe Nabi Ishaq, according to some narrations, between I'd say 5 and 13 years after Nabi Ismail was born. Oh, yeah. okay. So not long. Now, you mentioned that um, in the beginning of this episode, as the viewers will remember, that the sign of a prophet is that they come out of the mother's stomach circumcised. Womb, yes. Of the mother's the womb, womb. yeah, yeah, yeah. Circumcised. Now, after the seventh day, Ishaq didn't show those signs like all the other prophets did. Why? Yeah, you're right. There is a hadith that says that when Ishaq was born, um, that unlike the other prophets, he wasn't born circumcised. One opinion was because of Sarah not being too soft with Hajar upon hearing the news, that that was meant to be a little test for her at the beginning of that period. Mm -hmm. Others differ on the narration. Yeah. Now, Prophet Ishaq would have grown up, Prophet of Allah, his religion or his Sharia, you could say, was what? Sharia of Ibrahim alayhi yes. salam. Shia Ibrahim. Shia Ibrahim. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now he had a couple of sons, Jacob and Esau. Is it true he wanted Esau to succeed him, but Jacob's mom deceived Esau? No, we reject that. Uh, the narration is that yes, Ishaq had Jacob and he had Esau. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that Nabi Yaqub's mom deceived Esau and didn't let him be a prophet. On the contrary, we reject these. Mm -hmm. These are slanders against prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we have said throughout, we have a central belief in the Asma of the Anbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never would there be a case where Nabi Yaqub would deceive his brother so he becomes a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. Now Sayyidina, we have a few questions coming in through WhatsApp. Um, this question says, Salamu alaykum Sayyid Ammar. Sajda of worship is surely the only sajda there is. Who does sajda out of respect? Who deserves a sajda? If Allah asks me to do a sajda, mm -hmm. then that means that there is another aspect to sajda. Sajda of worship, sajda of obedience to Allah. Yeah. 
Sujudul Adam is not a statement made by a random. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Qulna lil malaika sujudul Adam. Fasajadu illa iblis. Qulna, we are the ones who are saying do sujda. You have a problem with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says? If Allah is saying do sujda to anything, I will not question my Lord. But I don't do sujda to a human being unless within that there is an obedience to Allah or I'm being asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ahsan to Sayyidina. Now this question says, Salaamu Alaikum Sayyidina. I am Fatima from Karachi. I need to ask a question that when we, the youth, try to convince our parents that we want to follow a certain path and they get offended because they want things to be the way they should, quotation, uh, be according to what, According to them, what should we do? Because Allah doesn't like us offending our parents. If, you're, if your parents are asking you to obey Allah, then you have to obey them. Mm -hmm. And if your parents are asking you to disobey Allah, then you have to disobey them. But the main aspect with all our relations, with our parents, has to be our akhlaq. Mm -hmm. If ever we think we're more religious than our parents, we still have to show them the best akhlaq. If we think we're more knowledgeable than them, we have to still show them the best akhlaq. Mm -hmm. Irrespective, your parents might not be very religious, not very educated, the akhlaq remains the same. Mm -hmm. When the Quran says, <laughs> Do not even utter uff to your parents. Mm -hmm. So when someone's saying, Well, my parents don't really believe in my worldview, be patient with them. They came from a time, you came from a time, inshallah, with time that there will be a change. Ahsantum Sayyidah, thank you very much for your My time pleasure. tonight. Nabi Lord, insha'Allah, tomorrow. Insha'Allah, the brother of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, Prophet Lord alayhi salam, tomorrow, I'd like to thank the, sorry, the cousin. Uh, I'd like to thank the viewers for tuning in to this live show with Dr. Sayyid Amman Akshawani as we looked at the lives of Prophet Ishaq, Prophet Ismail, and the two wives of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Do stay tuned for tomorrow. On the cousin of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, Prophet Lot alayhi salam, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We encourage you to look at our audio library for more content on Quran, ethics, lifestyle, and spirituality. Imam Hussein TV3, your gateway to Karbala.